Welcome to Game Mechanics, a show about tabletop role-playing games from lots of different perspectives. I'm Logan Jenkins. Today I'm talking to Greg Leatherman, writer of Glitter Hearts, a magical girl anime-inspired TTRPG. Greg is also one of my co-hosts on Very Random Encounters. We go way back. One thing I really like about interviewing folks from so many backgrounds is the different answers I get from the same questions I ask of each of them. And Greg gives some really interesting takes uh, that are kind of the exact opposite of some other guest responses. Uh, side note, what the fuck is wisdom? Anyway, let's get to the interview. Hello, Greg. Hello, Logan. We've never spoken before. <laughs> it's so good to finally meet you. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, theoretically, I guess people listening to the show could not be familiar with your work. So mm. can you tell the listeners at home, uh, what's the deal with Greg? What's the deal with me? I am part of the incredibly awesome Very Random Encounters podcast with you, Logan. Oh, I love that podcast. It's so good. Like... <laughs> The Star Wars season? Wow. Yeah. I am also B-teaming with you on a different podcast that we haven't done in a while yeah. called Tuesday Night Games. I'm sure Alan would appreciate it if we did it again soon. Yeah, we should probably do it. Well, <laughs> I think everybody has a lot of free time, so right. we could get a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yup. I am co-host on It's Super Effective, a Pokemon podcast. Yeah. And I, most important to this particular podcast, just finished writing a game and kickstarting it and publishing it called Glitter Hearts, a Magical Transforming Heroes RPG. Yay! Congratulations on the successful Kickstarter. Thank you. And successful sort of public launch. Yeah. What do you mean sort of? It's public. It is public. Um. Yeah. Getting the actual physical copies. Mm-hmm. Real rough. <laughs> we can go into all of that as we talk. But yeah, that's exactly why I wanted to bring you on is to talk about Glitter Hearts and just the experience of creating a game when that's not necessarily that that's not something you've ever done before. No. this, right. No. Yeah. Not in an official. People are actually going to have to use this <laughs> capacity. Like I've homebrewed. I don't know. Everything. <laughs> Famously mythical, which is yeah. a defunct podcast where we. Played uh, D&D, but in like the Pokemon world, like an ancient Pokemon world. Yeah, which was super fun. And I wrote a bunch of stuff for that, like trying to muck about with the 5e system. But yeah, Glitter Hearts is my first ever, I can actually publish this and not get sued <laughs> game. Yeah, cool. All right, I'm launching. I'm not treating you special, Greg. I'm launching into the questions just like everybody else gets. All right. What's your favorite mechanic in any game? So... In any game, it overall, I like anything that can come about to a definite result. So <laughs> there is a problem in a lot of games where it's like, I'll just talk my way out of this. Mm -hmm. And it often comes down to the player or the GM bamboozling each other. Yeah. And that can go way beyond what should be. <laughs> like, <laughs> especially if you know each other really well and you know what points to hit, like that can get... <laughs> Out of control, where the player isn't going at the character, the NPC, to convince the NPC. They're going against the GM, their friend, and they know what convinces their GM. Yeah. So yeah. things like the old skill challenge thing that came out in 4E um, and a little bit in 3rd uh, edition. Anything where you're making like, okay, I've heard your 
I've heard what you plan to do. That's your speech. I'll give you a plus because I really liked it. But we're still going to randomly determine whether this figure that's not supposed to be me buys it. Mm -hmm. And so those things where you can say, I'm just, you know, this is the definitive yes or no, pass, fail answer to how well this interaction goes. Like, and you can still have the whole lengthy conversation, but I still feel at the end, taking all of that in, was that effective against that person? Yes or no? Yeah, that makes sense. And I can see why, like, I've been trying to put this particular thought I don't know that I can have like a whole episode on it, but to me, the the most overpowered thing in any game is for a player to know what to offer the GM yep. as far as ideas go, because you can really do whatever you want if you're if you're making it fun for the GM, if you know how to do that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. No, but I do think people like if you have a definite thing, then it makes it more of an approachable game because uh, if you're not like an outgoing person or somebody who's going to be like creative with the tools you're presented with in D&D or any other RPG, you can have these definite things of like, yeah. I'm going to trick the man with my trick skill. Yeah. Well, also, like, not everybody's an actor. Correct. Yeah. And they and they, they shouldn't have to be to access these games. Right. So, yeah, accessibility. I mean, or approachability is probably a better word yeah. here because accessibility tends to mean a different. Uh, that's a very different, yeah, different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think like, you know, I covered this when we did Mythical because we had a bunch of people who weren't comfortable with role playing. Mm -hmm. And I would always say to them, you don't have to role play, but you do have to tell me your idea. Like we don't yeah. have to act it out. But tell me what you're doing, and I will rate that success. And I think that is extremely valid. Mm -hmm. Not every session is a critical role. Not We aren't all <laughs> famous working voice actors. We Correct. aren't. We're not going to be. And home games, your games, aren't built for public consumption. So just play them and have fun. Absolutely. Unless you are playing a game that is for public consumption. <laughs> yeah, well. In which case, you have a whole different thing. Uh, see, true believers see episode Bianca Zelda, because I go into that with them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, what is your favorite game? I'm going to put it in a parentheses that you didn't publish personally, and why? Um, still to this day, TSR's Marvel Super Heroes is my favorite game. I love that game beyond the telling. <laughs> and is it... The system feels really tight, or is it that the setting is exactly what you want, or is it a combination? The system is good for an 80s game, but it's so they built it so adaptable that mm -hmm. you can play any game you want in that system, but it really captures comic book games, not superhero movies. It is definitely a comic book game. For for the uh, for the listeners who are not familiar with Marvel superheroes, it's an old game, and it's called the Phase Rip System because all of Correct. the stats spell the word Phase Rip. Phase Rip. And um, it, there's this giant complex chart that tells you how to roll and what to roll and what is a failure and what is a success depending on how extremely good at that thing your character is. Yes, it uses a D100. That's it, and you consult the chart. And it's really the colors that you get that sort of tell you how well it went. Like white miss, green hit, <laughs> yellow better hit, red critical hit. 
And there's a lot, like, that's probably the first game I ever really hacked a lot to make. It suffers from what a lot of games suffers from, where really, if you play it the way they say, like, two stats matter and the rest are garbage. (laughs) So you kind of have to come up with ways around that. But I think the game itself allows you to be anybody because you're all using the same chart. So a person who creates ice versus a person who can teleport, the narrative part is how those powers work, but they all work according to the chart. Mm-hmm. Whether that succeeds or fails, it doesn't matter how mechanically in the world that happens. You're just checking for a succeed-fail. And that's why I think that system is fairly elegant in how it handles an unlimited power system. Yeah. Anybody can be anything, anything you can think of. It can happen because no matter what, it comes down to how strong is it and how well do you roll those, you know, that percentile dice. That's it. So... It's infinitely expandable. And I think that's why I love it, because you can have the wildest creation and it will still work in that system. Yeah, and that's uh, that's true, because we played it in very random encounters, got completely random powers, and the three characters we rolled were truly completely different as far as power levels. Like, I feel like... Oh, yes. I mean, Redmine had like a thousand powers like Superman. <laughs> Superman. Yeah. And Baron Rock had a bunch of powers that were great for him specifically, yeah. but couldn't affect the world too much. And then Aqua Synapse could make anyone fall asleep, which trivialized everything. And so yeah. I mean, it's it was wild and still worked. And I love that season. Yeah. We should really like see if we can reva- revitalize this game or like, you know, like do a restoration game style thing to make a My Hero Academia. <laughs> <system>. <laughs> well, I mean. There are people who, I mean, that game is, it's not in print anymore, but there are people still making things for that game. Yeah, you can, I mean, the beauty of this game, dear listener, is that if you go to classicmarvel.com, I believe, is that what it is? That has every module, every book, everything for free that has ever been written for this game. And stuff that people have made on their own. Right. Like, they've hacked Star Wars into it. They've hacked, (laughs) like, a million things into it. It, Yeah, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's talk about glitter hearts, huh? Okay. <laughs> what do you want to know about my little game? I don't know. Like, I have personally played glitter hearts, and I yes. I think it's very good and a very strong game. What is the most curious to me right now is actually like the process of getting it out there because, like, it's a huge book. Like, how like how many pages did it end up being? It ended up being 138 pages, and I wrote I wrote 80. Oh, dang. So, like, talk about that. What is your writing process? How do you get 80 pages of (laughs) mechanics and cool stuff? So, the very first thing is I had to write, like, the first, like, I still have all of my drafts. The first draft I wrote, I think, was 18 pages. And that was just me sitting down. Um, So, Glitter Hearts is powered by the Apocalypse system. And when I looked at all the systems out there, None of them really met what I wanted to do for how I felt uh, a Sailor Moon Power Rangers type game should go. Like, there's a ton of games, and I think one of the biggest problems in all modern games, or in a lot of role-playing games, is they're very focused on the individual, and Mm. the team be damned. Like, you know, you can work together, and there are some mechanics for how you work together, 
but in almost every game, helping each other isn't an ideal use of your time. Mm. And so when I was looking at games out there and thinking, well, what do I want to do? How do I want to run this? The thing is that I had to start with, okay, so how do I make this a team game while still making it each each member of that team is important, but they're also important as a team. Mm-hmm. And so of the systems out there, out there, I went with Powered by the Back Apocalypse because it's very flexible. Mm-hmm. Again, much like Marvel, it has one die rolling me- mechanic, and then you just slot things in and, and figure out how they work. I knew that I want to use Powered by the Apocalypse, but one of the biggest problems, I think, with Powered by the Apocalypse is... Almost every game runs off of the playbook style. Yeah. So, like, we've played Monster of the Week. So, if somebody plays, chooses the Chosen, the Chosen has 15 set moves, and those moves are always how a Chosen looks. Mm -hmm. And so, every Monster of the Week game, whenever somebody picks a playbook, you know how that person is going to play how that character is going to play and who that character is because they're locked into a set and when i looked at inspirational things for like sailor moon like they're all the warrior type they all fight they all (laughs) they they are the same but you would never look at those five people and say they are the same character right so i knew that i had to break the playbook idea and so that's when I came up with the thought that, okay, so if everybody chose a warrior, what would differentiate them? And so I said, okay, well, their individual personal identities, who they are during the day, has a huge effect on how they are in transform mode. And then each one of them is tropally attached to an element. So I had the idea of, okay, so I need three things. I need who they are during the day. I need what type of magical hero they are, and then what element they're tied to. Mm -hmm. And then I just started writing stereotypes. (laughs) So what are the stereotypical high school people? You know, you've got your athletes, you've got your chess club people you've got your theater people you've got your dropouts you've got your goths what do those look like and how can i make them all interesting and Mm -hmm. not oh you're an athlete so you're automatically this and this is the negative stereotypes that they still touch on the negative stereotypes a little bit because you know in power by the bible there has to be a negative stat it just makes the game more interesting yeah but to like Touch on those, but not make them, oh, you, you're good at sports, so you're dumb. <laughs> In like how I ended up writing is like, you're really good at sports, so you don't focus on this. Yeah. This is only weak, not because you're stupid, but because you don't focus on it. And when I realized when I was writing the stats, the stats are important, not because they're a measure of your actual ability, but because they're a measure of how you access those abilities in a time of stress. And so that actually freed up how I could look at what my stats were because it broke the idea that, oh, you have a negative one in your mental stats, therefore you're dumb. Mm. Well, no, you're not dumb. You're as smart as the person playing that or smarter. This isn't a measure of how smart you are. This is a measure of in a time of crisis, 
is that a muscle that you have flexed enough that it's really easy to use? Yeah. If you're put on a game show and you have 30 seconds to answer this question, a person with a negative mental stat is going to be worse because they are not good in crisis pulling on mental stats, whereas a person who's really good at mental who is weak is not going to be good in a fight because they can throw a punch when there's no consequences, but when it matters, they aren't good at pulling on that muscle. They aren't good at pulling on that. So Mm. I really looked at breaking away from the idea that these are for sure how smart you are, how strong you are, how fast you are, and much more. This is how well you can access this in a pass-fail situation, because that's the only time you're making dice rolls, is when when you failing matters. And inherently, that means you're in a crisis of some sort, and you need to learn how to access that in that time, and that's when the stat matters. Mm. So... I wrote the everyday identities, I wrote the heroic archetypes, and then I wrote my first four elements, you know, the basic ones, earth, fire, uh, water, air, Mm -hmm. and said, okay, I'll come up with moves for all of them, and then what are my basic moves? What do I want to say with this game? And there's a reason that the very first move listed, the very first basic move in the book, is we can do this together, the team move, Mm -hmm. because... That's the focus of the game. You should always be trying to work together. Always, always, always. And then the second move, I said, okay, so the second thing is solving things not through fighting, but trying to convince them or uh, the move is called touch their heart, trying to get at what's making them do this and talk or deal with it in a way that isn't violent, but still gets them to change. So it's an important part from the source material and it's an important part in the game to say fighting isn't the first answer. You should really try to figure out why they're doing this and see if you can stop it without blowing up the city. And then the third move is, okay, if all of that has failed, then you're probably going to have to fight. (laughs) And that's how I wrote it in the book. So the first draft of it was, here's the basic stereotype identities, here's the basic archetypes here's the basic connections here's the base moves and then i took it to some people and said hey let's play this (laughs) and then immediately within the first few minutes of well i would really like to make this but this isn't possible all right i will i can see why you'd want that i will figure out how to fit that into the game oh we aren't able to cover this really common situation i need a rule for it we aren't able to do that i need a rule for it so how long was that process of like going back to the drawing board, asking for feedback? A year and a half. Oh, dang. <laughs> so I first played it, I think, in at Gen Con 2018. The first draft I brought there and played with some people. And then the second, the almost finished draft I brought to Gen Con 2019. So in that year, I also played with a bunch of people locally and a bunch of people at conventions that didn't know me and yeah so it was about a year and a half of it took i would say it took three months of writing and then to a point where i felt okay we actually have a game we can play and Mm -hmm. then a year of fine-tuning and correcting and fixing which is i mean if this is your full-time job 
it will take you less time. This is me fitting it into my busy schedule. You know, right, yeah. Like it took that long because it's not my main job. I mean, that's still. I think that's how most people who are like going to write their first game are going to come at it. Right. This is going to be in time they when can you steal can fit away. it in. Yep. Yeah. And it's good to get people who don't know the genre that you're in. Yeah. Also, people who are invested enough in you that they want to give you the feedback that you need. It's hard when you're playing with strangers and they don't they don't get it and they don't get the vibe and they're giving you feedback that's like, okay, you want it to be a different game. <laughs> and it's it's just not that game. But even in those situations, there were some things like, okay, even though you wanted a game that's not the game that this is, there's still things that you ran up against that would work and should be a part of the game that I am making. So that's valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you. I think one of the things that you were telling me as you developed was like everybody who didn't understand the genre kept saying that Glitter Hearts was a bad title. Mm-hmm. and. I just every, <laughs> I mean, just to me personally, that seems like the perfect title. Yeah. Uh, I think it says it all. If you know a lot of like Sailor Moon and, and Magical Girl anime, that's how it goes. That's what it feels like a glittery heart. Yeah. Well, and getting to the name was tough. Getting to the name is also a bit of my, a little side swipe at other Powered by the Apocalypse games, most notably Monster Hearts, mm. which. You know, it comes up as the, you know, it's the quote unquote queer experience game. A lot of people look at it that way. Like, hey, this is this is what it's like to be a gay person who's a teen. And as a person who absolutely refuses that narrative, I am not (laughs) I am not a fan of the monster parallels that that we make internally. Yeah, I'm not big on romanticizing monsters because. They're monsters because they kill people, generally. Mm-hmm. And we've really tried to like say, oh, they're monsters just because they're outsiders. I'm like, mm, outsiders still don't drink people's blood until they die. So right. uh, maybe not. <laughs> and so like I was playing off from Monster Hearts like this is the this is the other end of the scale. That's the dark end. This is the light end. Oh. Okay. But when I actually was designing the game, I was like, oh, no, it's Glitter Hearts because, yes, it's it's a joyful experience, but also the emotional connection is actually very important to how this game works. Yeah. So as it started, like, uh, oh, I'm just going to name it this. It actually was a much better name than I was giving it credit for as I worked on the game because the title does tell you everything that the game is about. Yeah. It's a bright, fun game in a bright fun superheroic world that is about making emotional connections and so yeah i and people there's still people who look at it go oh it's too girly and i'm like there that's dumb like that's just a dumb (laughs) criticism like there's a million super macho bullshit games out there that nobody says oh that's way too manly i'll never play that game (laughs) like I was like, okay, if your criticism is that it's quote unquote too girly, that's on you. Yeah. <laughs> like And also there's like a billion games that are just like yeah. you you strong man, you hit weak man. <laughs> yes. It's like mm, I'm out. I'm gonna go over here and do this. And you know what? If it's not for you, don't buy it. Like Yeah. I don't 
you're missing out on a super fun experience because <laughs> you're allowing that to stand in your way. Yeah. <sighs> well, uh, hey, we're going to hey. go to this other one that I ask pretty much everybody. If okay. you could fix anything, fix in quotation marks, anything in a game, what would it be? We, I, oof. We still need to get away from stats and abilities being tied to "quote unquote" your race. I th- this this question might have to be retired because the the correct answer is absolutely always this. What you're saying, yeah, like got to get race away from stats. But maybe that's fine. Maybe I just keep on hammering at home. Everybody, <laughs> I mean D and D. That is one of the big ones. Yeah, and like I'm sure other people have said this. But it happens not only in Dungeons and Dragons. Like we oh, are tons, playing tons of games, Star Wars, and yeah. all their stuff is tied to their species, which is fine because that's actually how the movies work a little bit. But like, it's super weird. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the other thing that I think is probably a bigger conversation is we need to get away from stats being the hardcore measure of their ability how do you how do you mean so like there's a reason why i don't let people who i don't know and even often people who i do know do know not play characters with an intelligence less than eight yeah like we know what below average is and then anything beyond below average is insult town Mm-hmm. but it's also because we take those as literal representations of that person's ability. So it's the same the same thing that you mentioned earlier yeah. about how glitter hearts if you are good at sports then maybe you just didn't focus on something else and then you can't call it up in a time of stress, right. which is a very different narrative than like you a dummy. Yeah. And like it's hard because especially for your intelligences and wisdomses and charismases because those are already abstract in our world. Mm-hmm. And then we're trying to make them hard measurements of an already abstract concept in an abstraction of a game. And it's it's rough. <laughs> that's that's why like that's why I was a little taken aback at your first answer of like what's your what's your favorite mechanic of and you were saying like hard like this is a check but in order to have those checks you have to have this kind of abstraction so what right. what would you say is like the medium so let's look at like okay i'm gonna ask you a question real quick mm-hmm. in dungeons and dragons what is wisdom i have always taken it as street smarts in rather than book smarts which is what intelligence is so how is that religious it's not <laughs> and yet everything in religion and all of their nature connection runs off of wisdom. Right. So when I run it, and this is why I think it's a problem and why it needs to be defined better. For me, wisdom is your connection and experience with the world. Hmm. So how well do you understand how the world works? And when you talk about how well do you understand how the world works in a D and D setting where gods are real and miracles happen. Yeah. It makes more sense that wisdom is your connection and understanding of the baselines of how the world works. And then it runs. And so we need to look at abstractions of all of those stats and still have them represent 
a way of bringing about a finite solution. So if if wisdom is that of like knowing how the world works, then what do you like intelligence theoretically is that too, right? Like if you if you have like a lot of scientific knowledge, that would be intelligence, but you in your D&D game that would be wisdom. So it depends. So intelligence is much more in my world and how I run it is how much book reading, how much facts do you know? How well are you at recalling what you did three days ago, what happened in this country 15 years ago. How much do you remember about how things are reported, how laws work? Because intelligence is history, it's medicine, it's it's recalling knowledge about those things. Do you understand how this works? Whereas wisdom is, do you have experience and an intuitive understanding of how the world works? So it's sort of a weird divine there versus hard facts. Did you learn this in a book? Can you remember what that book said? Do you remember the philosophical theories that this person came up with? Versus so like rote memorization right versus true understanding <laughs> right and that's wizards versus clerics yeah wizards memorize clerics just do just the thing get it because since they're no longer tied to a god they just sort of hey I can do magic now mm-hmm. and so those while those those things need to be an abstraction of what they represent in the world because they are, but they still need to represent how good you are at doing that thing in a crisis. Mm-hmm. So for in D and D examples, like strength, how good are you at lifting things? It's not necessarily a measure of, Hey, I can lift 400 pounds, which is valid, but it's also, I can lift 400 pounds so can this other person, but they their form is bad or they struggle at doing it or they have to use their whole body and it's... They might fling their back out. Yeah, like they can't <laughs> hoist it up or they don't have the grip strength or, you know, since strength runs how well you hit things, yeah, which is also like, bleh. Yeah, that's I mean, strength, weird. Yeah, strength is also the idea in my head of how well are you at fighting like what is your experience with fighting for whereas dexterity is how good are you at dodging how good are you at getting out of the way mm. are you able to with strength are you able to just stand there and take the blows and knock things out of the way or are you dexterous are you able to dodge out of the way you know what i've just realized hmm. is my understanding of what dexterity is and what wisdom is is 100% just my understanding of what characters do in D D. Yep. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's what, a problem. It is. Like nobody really ever thinks about what those stats represent. And so we get problematic characters when we take them as literal and not abstractions. Mm. So I really try when I'm running my D D games to say, like, hey, that's just your fighting style. It's not like just because you have an, an eight strength doesn't mean you shouldn't try to open that door. It's just harder for you, but it's not, nothing is impossible. It's not a big X because you have a low strength. It's not your, 
you're not actually that strong or that weak. It is just how well you are at using that particular set of skills. And so I would really like more games to start pulling away from the idea of these are the hardcore, (laughs) this is your absolute strength. You can only lift 400 pounds. Yeah, D&D actually does have like a a five pound increment thing of like, (laughs) you, you bench press 430. Yeah, which most people ignore because... Yuck. Yeah, why would you ever, like, <laughs> this donkey, how much does this donkey weigh? I can yeah. only lift 435 pounds, and I'm, I'm concerned that the donkey weighs slightly more than that. It's 500 pounds, and I will fail. Like, Oops. it's just ugly. It's also why I allow people to choose either dexterity or wisdom when determining their initiative. They have to set it at the start of a game, because in my world, either you're dexterous and quick to attack, you know, you're quick to react, because you're just quick, or you know how to read the world. You know when you're looking at a at a battlefield, hey, this looks like an ambush situation. I should be on top of that. Or I'm looking at them and I can sense that they don't mean us well. They're going to hurt us. <laughs> I'm going to prep. Again, to the listener, like Greg's method of calculating for D&D specifically, if you're playing a D&D game, the method for calculating... Uh, initiative factors in your dexterity bonus and your wisdom bonus, which yeah. I think is brilliant. And I've good. done that before. I've split them out in in games where it's very survival based. Like all y'all are going to be out in the wilderness. I let them add. You know, if they're good at survival, they can add their survival skill to it because oh. you know how to deal with being in the wilds, and you should have that advantage. It also helps it so that healers don't always go last. Yep. Which is a problem when you only have one uber stat like dexterity, all of the others are automatically dump stats. Mm -hmm. And that's like the idea of a dump stat is... What's your your dump stat? Your human dump stat? Yeah. Like, well... mm, I don't know. I think mine is strength. (laughs) I mean, I would would say strength, except I go to the gym a lot now. Mm -hmm. So I probably fixed that. I mean, I would definitely say it was a dump stat when I was a kid because I didn't focus on it. Mm Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the way it is now. God, m- reminder to myself in the future that the homework for this episode <laughs> is to figure out your dump stat. Tweet it to me. Oh, yeah. Figure <laughs> out your dump stat. What 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 did you dump? <laughs> and don't do not do that thing where you don't think you're charismatic. If you have friends, you've got some charisma people. <laughs> it could still be your uh, dump stat if you... It still could be your dump stat. But, yeah. like, but, a but lot if of... You're, but if you are not bench pressing a full donkey... Yeah. Maybe strength is actually worse than charisma. I also get like frustrated when people are like, I'm a nerd, therefore charisma is a dumb stat. I'm like, no. No. <laughs> like, nah. No, I lo- and lots of nerds are charismatic. That's why games very. like Fiasco are very popular. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actors are nerds a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And everybody is, I mean, nerd is a blanket term for anybody yeah. who focuses in on one hobby to an extreme degree. So yeah. like there are people who go to the gym and write down in their little books how many reps they did and how many I do that. Yeah. And you should because that's how you get better gains. But yeah. that is nerdy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I mean, apart from the big one, remove race stuff. Yep. I think the other big thing is we all need to get much more comfortable in admitting that the stat representations are abstract. Yeah. Listening to people describe how you go down in hit points 
okay, I would be dead the way you're describing this. And Zero <laughs> Zero is unconscious. Right. Like I think Gagax it's, at one point was just like that your HP is not like your literal like you have blood in your body and the more, right. less HP you have the less blood there is in your body. It's more like you don't even get hit. Like you're you have you're an adventurer. Right. So when somebody goes to swing at you, you just get out of the way. And if you run out of hit points, then somebody actually knocked your dome and you're out. You're out. Yeah. I think the problem is like a lot of things, they've taken it literal and hit points means how many hits you can take. Right. Like HP needs to be changed. Like just it needs to be called something else to make it much more of this is how this is like your exhaustion level. And when you're at zero, you're exhausted and out. I think that the the success of Powered by the Apocalypse generally is because it's a it's a much more out of focus. Like it's an abstraction yeah. of combat and everything. Every aspect of it is like yeah. you either succeed all the way you succeed, but there's a little complication, which is more interesting than just succeed or fail anyway. Yeah. Or you straight up fail. Also interesting. And that's really all that the D20 ever boils down to, except you're having to have a whole pocket full of dice and a whole bunch of problematic <laughs> little numbers that represent how many pounds the donkey is that you can lift up. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I fully agree. I do push back a little bit on the people always say like, oh, Powered by the Apocalypse is such a better game than Dungeons and Dragons because you get more results. I mean, I'll say it's a better it's better for me, but it's not it's not universally better. I disagree in the fact that with Powered by the Apocalypse games and Dungeons and Dragons games, you're asking two different sets of questions. Absolutely. And you tend to only ask yes no questions in Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And if you're running Dungeons and Dragons correctly, you're only having to roll the dice when the answer is yes or no. Right. And everything else is kludgy mm-hmm. and deliberately kludgy. Powered by the Apocalypse takes it to the point where it's yes, no, maybe. Yeah. And because that maybe is in there, you, I find that you tend to roll more dice more often in Powered by the Apocalypse because there can be a maybe. Yeah. And so you tend to ask and have them roll more because you want to see if this is a maybe result. I, which I actually love, but that's what I'm saying. Like it's it, like Powered by the Apocalypse works better for me. I yeah. think that D&D has a lot of strengths and a lot of like, I think in a lot of ways it's more approachable, especially to people who their dump stat was charisma indeed. Yeah. Uh, because you still have like a list of very finite things that you can mm-hmm. do. If you're a wizard, you have like a literal list of all of your lines for a play essentially you're holding the yeah the uh script which is great it's always easier to answer a yes no question yeah and that's dnd yep dnd is a yes no game it's harder to it's always harder to answer open-ended questions it's why i always say like dnd is a game that i think is more ideally suited for new players because once you know where everybody sees where the barriers are like once you have the universal language, which is D&D, as much as we say it's not, yep, it is, then you know how to not talk that language. Yeah. Then you know how to stretch that language. Then you know how what more you want out of a game. And also, all these games are terrible at working as a team. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Greg Leatherman's game, yes. Glitter Hearts. Which, which, so 
I think it's a fundamental part of games that, as much as we pretend, isn't true. Anything that has a mechanic to it automatically has more weight. Mm-hmm. If it's something somebody can pick up a set of dice and roll for, they are going to do that thing over something nebulous. Yeah. Um, and that's why I really needed a hard code helping into my game. Yeah, that's how you that's how you drive people towards yeah. the thing you want. Well, because help in Powered by the Apocalypse, quite frankly, sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's it, just plus one. That's not. It's just plus one, and it only matters if they rolled a six or a nine. Mm-hmm. So why would you? Like, <laughs> it's just a waste of time in most games, and in D anD D, is like D anD D at least does it a little bit better now that you get advantage sometimes. So like, okay, but. Is that any different than both of them rolling the same dice? Because if they both rolled 18s, they both would have hit. Instead, you're taking one person's action out of the equation by helping another to ensure that one person might hit. So yeah. it's even then, it's like a weird risk. It's more risk than reward. And it's more risk than reward in most games. Mm-hmm. They just don't... As much as we say, hey, it's a party at the table, there's nothing to encourage you to actually work like a party in almost all games. This this is a great place to talk, like because uh, you haven't directly said what the mechanic is in Glitter Hearts, but essentially you can always be helping your friends in Glitter Hearts. Always. And even, even if you quote unquote fail, you're still adding a point towards the like big team attack, which is yep. necessarily team based, like it's a team yep. attack. And so you're, you're at least get moving the, the needle towards the team attack, even if you completely fail, you're, it's still a positive result. So yes. you're always encouraged to do that. That's really you're what you're always encouraged towards. to give a person. So it, you always give them a PowerPoint so that they can either use it themselves or use it as a team. But helping everybody, there's always an effect of goodwill. Like the PowerPoint is a representation of goodwill and teamwork like you Mm -hmm. and i work together we did this thing and we have a physical manifestation of us working as a team and that is always how yeah magical girl stuff or power ranger stuff works like they are you are working towards the megazord that's (laughs) yeah it's always the end goal that is what you want you want the big thing to happen to defeat the big undefeatable monster Mm -hmm. and you always want to be working towards that so and, you know, in my game, I built in the friendly rival and the cooperative relationships. They both have benefits so that you you don't have to necessarily get along in the way that, like, oh, we're best friends and we always support each other. Like, that is the cooperative relationship. But there's also the we are always in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. I'm always trying to outdo you. I'm always trying to show you up and you're trying to do the same to me. And there is still good mechanical value in that. They're just flavored slightly different. They work a little bit different, but I wanted to make sure that you could pick either or like I get along with everybody or I'm always trying to be the best. And in that I'm getting benefit from working with these people. Yeah. Well, we uh, have gone like double the time for the the normal (laughs) episode. That's totally fine. Um, But I'm just going to go straight to like, what what do you want to plug? What, how, where can I use our listeners find you? So you can always find me on Twitter. That's the easiest way to find me at White Wing on Twitter. Always listen to Very Random Encounters, (laughs) our wonderful podcast. You can find my game, Glitter Hearts, on DriveThruRPG and... How, is it itch.io? I never know how itch. to say that. Itch.io. 
Yeah, itch.io. It's there as well. With print versions, hopefully by the time this comes out, available. Woo! That's been a trip. <laughs> it's mainly because of this. I don't know who's working there because I don't know who's working anywhere. Right. And they aren't good at responding when there isn't a pandemic. Right. Yeah. So I don't know <sighs> if anybody's actually working at the print shop. Might not be, but but you know, it, it'll eventually happen. Yeah. Everybody understands delays right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us, Greg. Thanks for having me, Logan. This is a delightful conversation. So good to meet you, finally. <laughs> <laughs> again to my friend Greg. You can buy Glitter Hearts on DriveThruRPG. Uh, the link will be in the show notes, or you can just search DriveThruRPG. It's easy. You can follow Greg at WhiteWing on Twitter. Your homework this week is to uh, tell me your dump stat, your real-life dump stat. Tweet it to me at Logan Jenkins. Mine's probably Constitution? I... I don't know. Probably Constitution. If you want to hear more from me and Greg, too, check out Very Random Encounters, a podcast where some friends and I play tabletop role-playing games and randomize as much as is possible. Game Mechanics is part of the Orange Groves. Check out theorangegroves.com to support this and other great shows on the network. And until your next checkup, that'll be 2750. Bye.